Time with your host, Coach Danielle McCartney. You can follow her work on Twitter at Coach McCartney. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. That always happens. I never hit it fast enough. <laughs> Oops, I just broke the mic stand. Hi, everybody. Uh, I have to hold this for now, I think. Um, uh, anybody listening on 90.3 FM and anybody listening on Rampo Radio, uh, welcome. We have a lot to get to today. Uh, we are jam-packed. The focus of today is going to be on athlete wellness. Um all aspects of it, <laughs> training. What are you videoing me yeah. holding this? <laughs> yeah. This looks ridiculous. I'm sure it does. Um, athlete wellness and training and, and dietary things and, and all kinds of different regimens and everything. So we want to get right to it. I'm here with Andy Smith um, from the Bro Down podcast. Um, What's up? Hey, Andy's here as he always is. And Corey Canisi is here, a graduate of Rampo College with me, uh, owner of the Parisi Speed School of Wyckoff, New Jersey, and also a performance coach there. So, Corey, thanks for taking time out of your Sunday to come and be yeah, with us here. Of course. Thanks for having me, Daniel. All right. So today we're going to hear from, um, as, as well as Corey, he's going to do a little bit about uh, his to- sort of training that he does at, at Parisi. But um, you'll also hear, I had an interviewed, uh, oh, like about a month ago, uh, Dr. Ann Summers. She's the New York Giants team ophthalmologist, and she's now an author available on Amazon. She'll tell you about that. Um, play some clips from my interviews. Uh, we, I know you guys have been here listening when I interviewed Mike Riley from the Cardinals and uh, Mike Teal from the Seahawks. Um, so I just cut little clips from their interviews about their um, focus on athlete wellness, and Mike Riley goes into his training routine. Uh, Mike Teal takes it from more of an approach of, as a coach because he is coaching football at, at Don Bosco. High School in New Jersey now, in Ramsey. Um, We're going to take a live call in from Brian (coughs) Martin, the NFL Program Director for Parabolic Performance and Rehab. Um, He actually trained Stephen Langa, who has been on this show before, um, in preparation for the NFL Combine. And we're taking a live call in from Dr. Dr. Stephen Stoller, is an orthopedic surgeon in Englewood, New Jersey, and he specializes in the aging athlete. So, Without any further ado, let's hear from the uh, the athletes themselves. So Mike Riley and Mike Teal on wellness. Mike Teal is going to be first. You'll hear his voice first. He's the former Rutgers quarterback, former Seattle Seahawks quarterback, and current coach at the Don Bosco Prep football program. What steps do you take to promote the wellness among your players? You seem like you're really invested in them as a, as a whole. You know, with high school kids, it's a little different. You, you demand and expect so much of them that sometimes you forget that they're, you know, 14 through 18-year-old, you know, young kids that are yeah. kind of developing and sort of learning how to be men and, you know, getting ready for college and all that stuff. So from a physical standpoint, the biggest uh, thing that I've seen that our strength coach does and, and that we do as a program is we really try to develop good habits, mm-hmm. you know, both in the weight room, on the practice field, you know, because there's a lot of stuff that, Coming from their their pop Warner teams, you don't really just you don't learn, and mm-hmm. it's that's kind of what the high school job is. So we we very we, we simply break it down and and go through the basic steps of, of what it takes to you know do a, a lift the proper way or to run a route or make a tackle the proper way to ensure you know that the kids are learning how to do it and. and I saw a Jets thing. I went to the practice facility in Florham Park, and I was there with it was Nick Folk and Bilal Powell and Trevor Riley. And one of the main things that they were talking about, uh, what Woody Johnson promotes to them, 
is at that facility, all of the food is all organic. Um, do you follow any kind of program yourself or when you were playing just to ensure that you're, you were at your tip-top shape in playing in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, no doubt. As an NFL football player, you do everything you possibly can to ensure that you're giving yourself every advantage. And, and the biggest thing, probably the most important thing, you know, weight training is important and being in shape and condition and all that stuff, but the biggest thing that goes not unnoticed but probably has less uh, dedication to it is your is your diet and your mm-hmm. meal plan and your eating plan and your tendencies and all that stuff. So I worked with a nutritionist. Um, I wasn't to the point where it was all only normal organic food, mm-hmm. but it was a certain amount of caloric intake per day and a certain amount of proteins and sugars. And you know, I cut a lot of stuff out while I was a player to make sure that my muscles were healing the best that they could and, and so on and so forth. So there, there's definitely scientific ways um, and, and nutritional ways to help your body perform based on what you eat. And that's kind of one of your jobs as a NFL football player is your body is your job. If yeah. you physically cannot, cannot handle it, you're not going to have a job. And ultimately that's how my career ended uh, because of an injury. But, but while you're there, you do so many different things with massage therapy and, mm-hmm. and stretching coaches and yoga and, and all that stuff. And, you know, everyone talks about yoga, how, you know, women do yoga and this and that. There's a lot of NFL football players that do yoga because flexibility is such an important part, an important piece of, of the puzzle to being a complete athlete. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, diet and, and all those little things that you can try to take advantage of are hugely important. And now, do you preach that to your players? Do they think you're kind of crazy with that, or do you just kind of keep that under wraps? Um, it, it's tough at this level, the high school level, because their, their parents and families oftentimes are cooking them dinner, and, right. and they're the ones who are feeding them. Right. Um, when you have control over it in the college environment, you know, when I coached the Rutgers in the college environment, we had control over what they ate, okay. what time they ate, how much they ate. So you were able to, to monitor a lot. Um, We do have parents um, in the high school level at Nabasco who are conscious about, you know, trying to put the right foods in the kids' bodies. And Mm -hmm. we have a consultant who's a nutritionist who works with us, but it's not something that is mandated or or predicated, you know, for everyone. If they have interest and they want to try to help, then then they will. But but it's definitely something that is, is very useful. And now, a current player's take on wellness. Mike Riley, linebacker for the Arizona Cardinals. I follow you on Facebook. You are in the gym constantly. Actually, we're, we're doing this interview after you came back from the gym. What steps do you take to ensure that you perform at your highest level? Is there a workout routine? Is there a dietary routine that you follow to get yourself at that level? Uh-huh. Uh, for, for me, it's, it's all about setting goals and finding a way to get to that goal. 
tell you I, I watched some of those videos of you squatting what how much do you squat Insane. Do you do a little bit of yoga too? Because I, I talked with an, another football player for this uh, for this, uh, this show. He said there's a lot of players around the league that do do it in terms of flexibility. Yeah, I, I used to do yoga a lot more, but uh, recently I've been a little bit more into like um, it's called functional range conditioning. Uh-huh. So um, I've been doing a lot So that was uh, Mike Teal, Mike Riley. Uh, a couple of the, the takeaways I got from that is, most importantly, um, you have to eat well in order to play well. Um, Corey, what do, you, what do you... I know I had mentioned to you as, as it was playing, the Jets facility has organic food only. Mm-hmm. Is that a huge thing in a training regimen, or does it um, You know what? I, I don't... Obviously, uh, you know, I, I know you said you were going to ask me this at some point, but <laughs> um, I don't train professional athletes. I haven't trained one. Um, the biggest thing that I find... Um, with the athletes that I work with is typically that they're not eating enough. Um, they're skinny kids. They're high school kids. They're trying to get into college. They, want, they weigh 145 pounds. Um, but as far as the organic foods go, I mean, it's probably, you know, no different than what you would see in everyday life for any human. You know what I mean? It's, you know, all right, yeah, vegetables some fruits some berries, things like that, that are organic, some meats. They're great. Um, if you don't do that, you know, I don't know if it's the end of the world. I'm not sure. I'm, uh, I guess I'm not smart enough yet. Uh, well, yeah, so Corey Kinesi, by the way, um, we were in the same circle of friends here at, at Rampo College. Um, actually, neither of us, we were just talking before we got on, never actually really stepped foot in here as Rampo students. <laughs> so, so this is kind of interesting that we're both back and both now in here. That's the truth. Uh, he owns Parisi Speed School of Wyckoff, New Jersey, and he also works as a performance coach there. Um, and he focuses on programs that make someone a better overall athlete in any, fo- any sport. And there's some sports-specific training you do there. Mm-hmm. So, Corey, you mentioned you, you train. Um, I, I'm a high school teacher, and a lot of the athletes that are playing for me and at our high school do end up going to you because you're in district pretty much. So you, mm-hmm. you, tra- you train youth athletes. So for my listeners out there with kids, what are some of the best practices for youth training? Um, the best practices? I would say just being physically prepared for a sport. Um, what I see a lot of is that parents bring their kids in and they're on three different travel teams and they want them to play in college and they're playing softball, for example, all year long. And then they come in and they run and their knees are caving in and their ankles are, you know, uh, rolling over and they're just, they're not physically prepared to play that sport. Um, so, I mean, that's what we, we see most often is, is just kids that are coming in, maybe especially at that high school level. Um, they need to get stronger. They're not 
you know, we're, I know we'll go over some some, some things later. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just not physically prepared, and I think that's the biggest thing. A- athletes just need to need to have that training, need to know how to move, um, need to know how to, like we said, like, know how to eat and all that. So in, in a world of, of club teams and mm-hmm. commitment to one sport, what do you suggest? Do you suggest sticking to the one sport athlete, or do you encourage kids to go mm-hmm. and, and experience different sports in terms of training? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you know, I, I'm definitely certainly not the first person to say this, but what I find – Uh, works most often is that these kids are playing you know at least two or three sports Mm -hmm. um up until high school once high school comes uh you know if if it's in them to specialize in one sport obviously you don't want to mentally drain them or anything like that i've seen kids that are really good at one sport basketball for example they play it for years and then by the time they're juniors they're really good but they don't really want to play anymore they don't feel like it um so i i always recommend that to parents i've seen kids that are coming to my my speed school at eight years old and the parents say Oh, you know, my, my son, he's really good at, at soccer. Like, I think he's going he's gonna to specialize in that sport. To me, that's crazy. That's <laughs> where you see the injuries go up. You see, you know, kids get burnt out really early. Um, so that, that's my recommendation is, hey, you know, keep them playing anything they feel like playing, anything they have fun playing um, until they get to high school. And then if they want to specialize, then they do it. And if they don't want to specialize, keep letting them have fun. Yeah, do you think uh, maybe like um, when you get to high school that uh, kids – need to focus more on the one sport if they're good at it. I mean, I mean, not every kid can go to college and be a superstar, but I feel like uh, if you're, you know, you happen to have a gift in this particular sport, do you feel that playing other sports might take away from some of their training for your round that they could be doing like that? I know, I'm not sure how other sports go. Uh, I'm not really a big uh, sports guy, but as far as stuff like uh, like wrestling, you know, if you're, if you're a top-end wrestler, usually uh, – you're not doing anything else but wrestling year-round uh, right. and, and camps and stuff like that. You're not even trying to risk, like, twisting an ankle on the court mm-hmm. or uh, playing basketball or anything like that. What's your – like, how do you feel? I mean, I know if you're just playing sports just to play sports and you like doing and enjoy it, but as far as, like, trying to get, like, a scholarship and everything mm-hmm. like that, do you think it changes a little bit when it comes to how you approach it? Um, it, it as long as they're taking care of their body in other ways, as long as they're not – like, again, I bring up basketball a lot because I, I – you know, it's my favorite sport, yeah. and I, I train a lot of basketball kids, a lot of high school athletes, um, and a lot of kids going into college. Um, what I would say is, as long as they're working on their body, as long as they're strength training properly, um, as long as they're you know, moving di- differently, what you see is you see in basketball, especially, uh, a lot of ankle sprains because kids are always playing basketball, and they've never worked on their hip strength. They've never mm-hmm. worked on, um, you know, their core strength, their flexibility. They just play basketball. Um, as you're in, you know, obviously if you're in high school and you want to play college athletics, you have to put in the extra time at that. Um because there's so many, only so many hours in the day, yeah, and you don't right, want you exactly. can't overdo it with your body. What I've told with a few of my my high school athletes is it's almost like a sliding scale as you go through the years. You can still play other sports when you're a freshman. Um, the, the the later you get on the seat in in your your high school career is when you would want to specialize more. By the time you're a senior, hey, if you're looking to play college basketball you or should college know your football, sport by then. you 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 should. Uh, if if you've got a chance, especially to get a scholarship and go to Division yeah. One, um, I, I would I would specialize. You know, junior year, senior year, and just spend all of your time on those those things. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, Corey, we'll get back to you in a little bit, especially what you said about the hip training and, and parts of the body you don't normally think of training in mm-hmm. in, in reference to sp- specific sports. <laughs> um, we will talk about that when we discuss the um, Leonard article on an ESPN. So we'll talk about that sure. uh, right now. Um, 
it's sort of interesting. You don't think, you know, you think training muscles, training, you know, biceps, triceps, quadriceps. Uh, you don't think of actually eye care in, in terms of athlete wellness. So um, this might make you open your eyes yeah, a little bit with oh. this. I interviewed the... Uh, I the see what you did there. Well done. Well done. I didn't even plan that. I didn't have that written down. Um, but um, Dr. Ann Summers is the New York Giants team ophthalmologist, and uh, she's got a pretty interesting take uh, on stuff and some anecdotes of some players that have come into her office, which is in Ridgewood, New Jersey. So take a listen. Dr. Ann Summers, you are on 60-minute overtime. Um, she's a Bergen County ophthalmologist specializing in LASIK, contact lenses, cataract surgery, glaucoma, macular degeneration, dry eye, glasses, eye injuries, eye infections, and so much more. And now you guys, my listeners, must be thinking, hey, why do I have an ophthalmologist on a sports radio show? I'll tell you why. Because Dr. Ann Summers has been the New York Giants team ophthalmologist since 1990. That's 16 years for anybody keeping track. So, Dr. Ann Summers, it's a pleasure to have you on my radio show today. I'm delighted to be here, Danielle. It's very exciting. How does one become the official ophthalmologist of a professional sports team? And, and what are your responsibilities in that job description? Giants, uh, mm -hmm. to some extent, it's being responsible for everything on the team. So uh, it can be a player's eye injury. It can be uh, someone who works for the Giants, a friend of the coach. It can be family members of uh, people who work there. Um, and it's any injuries, any contacts, any problems uh, that, that might occur. I was very busy when I used to be the ophthalmologist for the Nets because basketball is a much more fingery game. There's yeah. a lot of poking of eyes, a lot of jabbing of eyes. And I see this even in, in local Ridgewood basketball pickup games. Uh, there's a lot of minor eye injuries uh, with basketball. With uh, the New York football giants, thank goodness we've never had any serious eye injuries to our players, but different players on different teams throughout the NFL have had everything from scratches of the eyes to contusions of the eyes to even loss of an eye during wow. play. Wow. Are you a Giants fan? I am the biggest Giants fan there ever was. I love that team. I just the Maris have been wonderful. It is a great, great team. It's exciting to follow, and you know they're they're just. I'm so proud to be associated with them, and it's so exciting when we have players come into our office. We all just stand up straighter and try to do everything we can for them because it's really important. Uh, depending on what your position is. Really good vision can make a gigantic difference. So um, a slight change in someone's contact lenses, a little adjustment, can make a huge difference for a player. And when you're at that level of play, even the smallest um, adjustment can give you that 1%, that 5% additional uh, speed, uh, reflex, response, that is absolutely critical in, in, in such a high-level game. Yeah, and, you know, when they come into the office, you have the office in, in Ridgewood, New Jersey, you mentioned. Uh, do you guys, like, ever ask for autographs or anything from the players and, and photos and stuff? Well, we try very much not to. Okay. Um, we try to be very much uh, professional. We mm -hmm. had a problem once where Lawrence Taylor was in the office. Oh, yeah. And he's, uh, he was just trying to check out and make an appointment to come back to pick up his uh, glasses and contacts. Yeah. And a line formed oh. of people who demanded autographs and he explained it to me and this is true for all of them the problem is the moment you start signing anything there's no ending it yeah uh, because people people started bailing from the dermatologist's office next door <laughs> to like oh what's going on in there oh is he giving autographs no he is not 
why yeah. not me? You uh-huh. gave them one. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, and even the selfies, it can be extremely difficult. And I, I was very sympathetic when I, when, when I saw that happening. Yeah. Now, um, we have, when, when sports teams are in trade negotiations with new players or in the, they're in the process of acquiring new players, and the media is reporting, like, we are awaiting physical examination results on so-and-so, are you included in that process? Is an eye exam part of that, or is it just like a physical exam? Oh, it very much depends on the player, okay. depends on the issues, mm-hmm. depends on whether there's a known injury or a surgery or there's a specific thing they want to see about speed or strength. Um, it, it, once in a while, I'm definitely involved because there's not a question of an eye injury or eye problem, um, a question of, of some some issue going on. So uh, it, it, it's more of a specific issue. The, the NFL is very, very careful to make sure that every every player is fit to play. Right. So there's um, a screening test that's done before you're allowed to put the Giants uniform on, right. done every spring for both the rookies and for the veterans, and just to make sure everyone's blood pressure is good, everyone, um, they, they do blood tests, they do uh, uh, reaction tests, they do strength testing, they do mobility, and they certainly do a complete eye exam as well, um, and I participate in that every year for every single player, both uh, free agents, prospective players, mm-hmm. the veteran players, and, and the rookies, the, the, the ones who have been drafted and the ones who haven't, um, all of them come through. It, 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 and also making sure there's no issues of concussion. The NFL and the Giants in particular are extremely careful about uh, who's playing for them and making sure there's no injuries. And um, early intervention, early treatment, uh, avoiding injuries, safety, absolutely first. So um, it's fun for us. We love going down to, the, to, to do the screening. It's really, really fun. It's great to see everyone returning. Um, and it's fun to welcome the, the new players. Uh, but it's very important that, that any, any problems are identified at that time and resolved. Yeah. Now, you know, you mentioned Lawrence Taylor earlier, actually. Um, after they retire, a lot of them tend to stay local to this area. Do they continue to come to you for annual checkups and treatments after they've retired? Oh, some of them do. Some yeah. of them do, which I just love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great to see them. It's great to see them doing well. Um, one of my absolute favorites is Charles Way, yep. who played for the Giants yep. for many years and then was um, in the administration for the Giants and now is working his way up in the NFL to the NFL administration. He works for the big, um, you know, the, the national organization. Oh, wow, really? And uh, it's just great. It's great to see, watch his children grow up. No, no surprise, his children are extremely gifted athletes. So uh, it's just fun to, to see them all growing up. It's, it's been just an adventure. Yeah, he came, actually, I'm a teacher at Rampo High School, and he came, he had some foundation. I was student teaching. It was like six years ago, and he came, and he gave a whole speech, and, and he was great. I actually really enjoyed him. Oh, Charles Way is one of the nicest people, one of the smartest players. Um, he's like Dahani Jones mm-hmm. or um, Michael Strahan, who just stand out for being articulate, engaging, smart, thoughtful, and then unbelievably good athletes. Yeah. In addition to all that, which is just an amazing thing to be to be that together when you're that young and that gifted, to to also be able to be kind and and generous with their time and and reaching out to the community. They're just those those three guys in particular uh, just are really memorable people. Um, yeah, I love Michael Strahan too. Um, I know the trainers do. I think they do. 
But do the official team ophthalmologists get Super Bowl rings too? <laughs> I'd have two. Yeah, you would. No, no, sadly, I do not. That, that's, a, that's a sad fact. Ah, I know there's patient doctor confidentiality, but I, I'm sure my listeners are, are interested to hear some anecdotal stories about our favorite giants and, and your favorite giants. So could you tell any funny stories about any of them that have come in? <laughs> not by name, not by name, but the, but the funniest injury, which I, I promised I'd, I'd never tell anybody who it was, one of the guys get, got a terrible eye injury banging his head on his own helmet. Oh, no. Yes, and he, and he was dying. He's not with the team anymore, but he was just, just dying. As a doctor, my responsibility is to that individual person, mm-hmm. that player, to do the right thing by him for the long term. So the, the, it's easy to, to think, oh, we can sacrifice everything for, for Sunday's game, but mm-hmm. actually the most important thing is what's exactly right for this person. Even if he, just assume he didn't have a game tomorrow. Assume that he is a, uh, a lawyer mm-hmm. or, or an IT specialist or whatever. Would I say it's all right to go play football tomorrow? If I, if I would say that to him no matter what, then fine. But if I would say, oh, no, you must go and have bed rest, why then that's the appropriate thing for for that player. Right. Um, do you have like a favorite athlete to work with? Is it always someone like that's like a fun time when they come into the office? Oh, I love them all. Yeah. I, I enjoy the young ones. I enjoy the new ones. I, I, I think they're just, uh, they're, they're great. They're, I, I always look, I always get excited when, when I see that uh, a trainer's coming in or a, a player's coming in or a player's wife or, or, a, or a coach's child. It's all fun for me. It's all fun to see them. Yeah, that's so cool. Right when they had come out, I wrote up a whole piece about how the NFL's color rush uniforms is where they would dress the athletes in one team color from head to cleat, literally, were actually abominable. They were awful. They should get rid of them. And the first game that they featured this year on Thursday Night Football with, with these uniforms were the Jets wearing green versus the Bills who were wearing all red. Could you expand upon the difficulties for the colorblind players and the fans watching this game? Well, 7% of all American men are colorblind, and they can't tell, like, dark red from dark green. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that, first of all, there was outrage among the people who were watching the game, because you can imagine if 7% of the people watching can't make any sense of of the play. It was fascinating. The New York Times had a a picture just showing it in black and white, Mm -hmm. and it looked, because a, a, a colorblind person can tell saturation, so that they can tell if something's a light pastel or a dark, dark, like olive color or dark navy. Uh But what they can't tell is the difference between light pink and light uh, orange and light yellow. And they can't tell the difference between dark uh, red and dark green. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what the Jets (laughs) and the Bills were wearing, dark red and dark green. It looks to a colorblind person like everyone is wearing the same muddy color Mm -hmm. and they couldn't tell a thing. Many men are colorblind or color deficient. So, for instance, it just made it harder for them to see. It wasn't so much that they couldn't tell who the uh, different teams were, but it was much harder to watch, harder to follow the game. Um, and that's so the color deficiency, red green color deficiency, uh, is is very common. Not complete color blindness, but it, uh, difficulty with colors. 
that again. They they were very much aware, the NFL was very much aware immediately that this was a, a problem. I don't think it was a problem specifically for the players, um, uh, because the players, they're, they're very much attuned to the individual person. Right, right. Uh, so no one's going to throw the ball to the wrong player. That's not going to happen. Right. But uh, I think it made it for, you know, the NFL, it, it's a spectator sport. Mm-hmm. And if it's not good for the spectators, it's not good for anybody. Do you think... You know, the NFL is such a thorough organization. It's a spectator sport. They want the people to watch. Do you think the NFL should have been a little more sensitive to people with this condition before unveiling these uniforms or, or done their research at least before this game? Oh, I think they were they were shocked by this. I, I don't think anyone realized kind of what would happen. It wouldn't have been so bad, for instance, if uh, they had someone playing with dark green and light blue. Right. It would have been fine. It just happened mm-hmm. that the Bills and the uh, Cardinals are both deeply saturated colors. Right. All right. And then um, I know you have a, a book coming to Amazon soon. So if oh, you want to yes, plug that, yes. sure. If you're a pre-med or you want a funny uh, book to give to your friend who's a pre-med or to anyone who's interested in medicine, a PA or a nurse, it's called The Official MD Handbook. It's extremely funny, and it's uh, all about the life of a doctor and life of a medical student, and you can order it on Amazon uh, starting in one month, and uh, you can certainly get a preview on Amazon as well, and it will be delivered right to your iPhone or your uh, uh, iPad or whatever, your device. Yeah. Um, and uh, I do encourage you, it's under my maiden name, which is Anne Eva Ricks, and uh, it's called The Official MD Handbook, and I know you will find it very funny. Oh, thank you so much. And, and everybody listening, for all your eye care needs, please visit Dr. Ann Summers. Her office is in Ridgewood, New Jersey, and she's the Giants team doctor. How cool is that? <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Great talking to you, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Okay, so uh, that was the interview with... Uh, the Dr. Ann Summers. That was uh, very enlightening. Um, it's cool to see the other the other aspect of this, like the doctors with the players. We just know them in one capacity. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting, especially the color rush uniforms. So for people that are colorblind, green and red are, are really difficult to see. And I wrote that about that as soon as it came out. So um, okay, on the line, the phone is ringing. Hi, you're on 60 Minute Overtime. Is this Dr. Uh-huh. Stoller? Yes, it is. Okay, okay, everybody, we have on the phone Dr. Stephen Stoller. He's an orthopedic surgeon in Englewood, New Jersey, who specializes in the aging athlete. Um, He's also trained in sports medicine and has treated athletes for over 35 years. He has treated professional boxers from all over the country, as well as in several countries. Uh, He's a very big Jet fan, go Jets, but he, uh, as far back as the Titans on the polo grounds, was him. Uh, A big Nick fan, you may have seen him in Celebrity Row on occasion, and he is quite the athlete, both now and when he was younger. So thanks for uh, giving up your time to call in. Uh, we really appreciate you having here, having you here. Oh, well, my pleasure, Danielle. So um, I know you were interested in discussing uh, Tom Brady mm-hmm. versus Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. Um, so your interest was in their longevity mm-hmm. or... Yeah. Go so, ahead. so yeah. So you, I'm here with my co-host Andy, and um, how you doing? Hi, Andy. And Corey, he's the owner of Parisi Speed School in Wyckoff. You might might have heard of it. Um, uh, I sure did. My son Brandon um, practiced with the Sims brothers for years, and he played. He was a star quarterback at Hackley, 
in Tarrytown and then played sprint football at Cornell. Gotcha. Um, so, yes, and I've also sent uh, boxes over to train at Parisi's. Cool. Look at that. That's pretty cool. That was might have been a yeah. little bit before my time, but uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's awesome. That's great to hear. Okay, so, um, yeah, I was more interested in, in and I was watching, uh, leading up to the Super Bowl, the media week, Peyton Manning was asked about, you know, Tom Brady and, will you know, will he retire, will Pey- Peyton Manning retire, what about Tom Brady? And he pointed to something w- which was very interesting. Um, he said that Tom Brady will play forever based on his extremely strict diet and workout routine. And um, his uh, chef, uh, Tom Brady's chef, has said that he stays completely away from inflammatory foods, tomatoes, peppers, Mushrooms, eggplants, no white sugar, no white flour, no MSG, no dairy, no caffeine, and the only fruit he eats are bananas. So is there any validity to this type of diet being linked to a longer playing career? No. (laughs) 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 To be quite honest with you, no. Um, I mean, it's not a bad diet, but no, it will not extend his uh, playing career. And and there there are a couple of things with diets. you know, there are diets um, for losing weight. There's diets for health. There's diets for, you know, for athletes. For And there are also diets where you want to build up muscles. Um, so I really don't want to get into diets because I did look at the diet, mm-hmm. and, you know, some of it makes sense, some of it doesn't. And I don't think it really has anything to do with his longevity. And one thing, you know, after studying um, problems with the aging athlete, there's one thing that you cannot prevent and you should be aware of in order to extend your career. And that is, um, as you get older, you need a longer recuperation time. There's no way to shorten that. Mm -hmm. Um, There are things that you can help, but by helping extending your career is recognizing that you do need an extra day or two off, and that would help. And probably, like in the NFL, if they didn't have to play every week and, you know, like they had a pitch count like in baseball, Mm -hmm. you would probably see quarterbacks last, you know, five more years maybe. Um, but that's probably why, especially in the NFL, um, that's probably what shortens their careers because they don't have time to really recuperate and they also end up with injuries along the way. Right. So um, I know that Jets wide receiver Brandon Marshall receives regenerative injections in his knees, yes. I think weekly, in order to combat injury in an effort to prolong his career. Do you do that in your office? And what specifically does this, does this procedure do for an athlete like him? Okay. The, 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 que- the real question is for me, since I don't know what regenerative injection, um, you know, that's... I'm not certain he's getting an injection weekly, and I really hope it's not cortisone because that would Mm. ultimately destroy the knee, and I doubt that any physician would be giving him that on a weekly basis, Um, which he may be getting, you know, routinely is what's called PRP 
It's protein-rich yes. plasma. That's it. Yep. That's I've actually it had a bunch of those injections uh, over the last couple months, Doc. Okay. Uh, pro- protein-rich plasmas. That's when it. they take your blood, they get they filter out the red and white blood cells, and within the fluid that's remaining has maybe twenty-five to thirty other ingredients. Probably two-thirds of those are helpful for the knee, you know, such as, uh, you know, growth uh, stimulating factor and insulin stimulating factors and other um, ingredients that help reduce inflammation and help, you know, heal um, any tissue. And then there's other ingredients that really do nothing, and there's others that may even be harmful but that's about as much as we know about it now um what i have moved away from prp um i use stem cells and i've really like using stem cells what stem cells are is that you take the bone marrow you know like you would in in a bone marrow transplant However, it's only like a microscopic portion compared to a big surgery there. Mm -hmm. And when you spin down the bone marrow to get the stem cells, the stem cell is the most basic and immature cell in the body. So like when you're as an embryo, when you're growing, um, the stem cells can go anywhere and be developed into almost any kind of tissue. And outside the, bu- the body and laboratories, they are doing that. I mean, I've, I've seen where they've constructed the inner ear, and I think uh, I just read the two days ago in Japan that I think they um, reconstructed or grew a um, eye lens. So they're working on that, but I use it in a, a primitive but very successfully um, by injecting it into the knee after I've cleaned up the knee and performed, you know, what's called a microfracture. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of athletes get those, and after you've seen through the years, a microfracture alone where you crack the bone where there's no articular cartilage and it helps fool the body into thinking it's injury, injured and it forms a secondary cartilage. But as you've seen for yourself, there are a lot of athletes that are young and healthy that don't make it back even with this procedure. However, when I incorporated it with stem cells, and I'm also doing it on an older population, mm-hmm. I've been doing it for two years and my results have been very good. There's not a lot of literature out there, but, you know, on the other hand, there are a lot of athletes that are flying to Europe to get this procedure done. So, uh, hey, Doc. Yeah. I've I've had uh, two shoulder surgeries before, both labral tears, uh, and I've had a knee surgery of uh, quad tendon tears. And I've also had about 28 uh, different tears injected with the PRP. What is? Do you think PRP is good for you, or you're saying that it's not as good as the stem cells? Because 
having both had uh, surgery on the labral tears and the quad tendon tears and then having the PRP done for the same injuries uh, on bilateral sides, uh, I found that the PRP fixed me up, uh, especially with the knee, in about three weeks. I, ha I went from not even really being able to walk to having almost no pain at all. Well, the, yeah, it reduces inflammation. Look, it's definitely it's definitely good. I think stem cells is better. But here's here's the problem: was your procedure done open? No, well, complete. Well, what happened was uh, the I've had uh, both my shoulders re, re, like reconstructed with the labrum, and then my left knee was done with the quad tendon and. My right knee had the same injury, but I didn't get it done because my orthopedic surgeon said that it was a very rare injury. Not a lot of people tear their quad tendon, so he wanted to do one well, at a time. I, I, yeah, well, you have to do it one at a time. Yeah, it's hard to so walk. I wanted to see how much I was going to get recovery-wise because he wasn't. I, I didn't just want it to be for no pain. I wanted to be able to use it again. So I want to see what kind of function I would get out of it. But uh, when the doctor that I have does a PRP treatment, he uses the live feed ultrasound machine, and he actually yes. inje injects the yeah, PRP is, right in there. Yeah. yeah. And it, when he goes back and he looks at it, and we've seen both pictures of, you know, like my MCL, my quad tendon, and the tear is not there it, anymore. It go, right. It, it like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was just wondering. It's true. The only, the only uh, uh, you know, again, uh, my for that indication your prp would be better because stem cells do not absorb well in soft tissue um they they, they absorb well in bone okay so, so they're better for uh, bone and like bone uh, type injuries and bone based yeah uh, injuries. yeah but but if you had like for instance if you had an area that it this did not work or you know i, I it depends on the size of the tear and what your goals are, yeah. you know, making a small incision or, uh, you know, taking out the scar tissue, if I was to do that, what I would do is soak the suture in your stem cells because it will absorb in suture and then just sew that small area back together mm -hmm. and that has as as a higher regeneration yeah, property I, but i, I noticed that successful treatment yeah i noticed I that the stop. uh the prp because i've had them in in uh injections in um in muscle muscular tears i've had them in labral labral tears with uh, cartilage tears uh tendon and ligament tears i've had all different every pretty much type of connective tissue that you can get them in and it, they all heal it from my experience at a at a different rate. The cartilage seems to be the slowest one, and sometimes it takes. Oh, yeah, car yeah, cartilage is not going to heal. Well, it, cartilage. He, I had the 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 one in my labrum. Uh, I, I well, did you have did you have it fixed? You had a torn labrum. Was it fixed surgically? It was fixed surgically, and then it retore again in several spots, wow. and it then has, to, has uh, to be fixed. It has to be fixed surgically. Well, the, the I mean. You, the injections that I had uh, 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 several weeks ago, uh, it actually I could see it on on the screen. It was it was considerably smaller the, for the second time I had it injected, and now I have almost no pain in it at all. I mean, well, I don't know if that's actually. Yeah, yeah here's the thing: one, uh, with ultrasound, you can't see the labrum that well, mm. um, and two, if you do have a labral tear, um, you're it's it's not going to heal without being fixed. And the reason why is that cartilage, the, the, like 
cartilages have a blood supply. Yeah. And so it's not going to heal. It won't heal even with a PRP injection. It w- if you open, not open, if you do it, look, I do them arthroscopically all the time mm-hmm. and get very good results. But you can add, you know, if, uh, then again, if I was doing it, you know, I'd add PRP or stem cells to enhance the Speed fixation. Up the healing process. Yeah, but if, if it's retorn, um, you have to have it fixed. If you keep on getting injections, it may reduce the inflammation. It may allow you to function, but you're going to continue to tear the labrum. You'll end up with more instability, and then you probably will eventually end up with, you know, rotator cuff, you know, injury or, you know, tendonitis. Yeah, I've had three tears in the rotator cuff also injected. (laughs) He's like the bionic man over here. Well, (laughs) uh, I mean, that is, I mean, if all... If you're getting, how old, do you mind if I ask how old you are? 27. Okay, if you're 27, you really need to have it repaired because you're not getting a rotator cuff injury at your age unless you're getting instability. And the first thing you want to do is repair the labrum. And not, and not only do you repair it, but you want to advance it and tighten it up a little bit. And that's why you're getting rotator cuff injuries is because your humeral head of your shoulder is moving around and pushing the rotator cuff against the bone on top. Um, because at your age, you should not have any rotator cuff problems. So um, I would consider, you know, getting it, you know, an MRI and um and again having that done however as you look you know from football baseball basketball that once you fix the labrum you will be out for six months not because you can't do the activities but you can't do any heavy activities because you it requires that amount of time for the labrum to heal to the bone the, any ligament to yield to bone. So, Doctor, we had mentioned, and you had mentioned to me that you wanted to talk about, and I, I think I agree with you on this position, that the Jets uh, have tagged Muhammad Wilkerson as their, their uh, franchise tag. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, a franchise tag is a designation a team may apply to a player scheduled to become an f- unrestricted free agent. The tag binds the player to the team for one year if certain conditions are met. So the Jets went ahead and tagged Muhammad Wilkerson, having a pretty severe leg injury so just quickly what are your thoughts on that do you think it was a waste of a tag and and what are the jets moves moving I, forward? I think it's a waste of a tag and i you know look i can't i can't get into too many specifics because one i don't i don't have the medical records and i don't you know say anything in, inflammatory about the organization uh-huh. but i will say this um the from the from, at least from the public that you could read, is that he had a fibular fracture. Mm-hmm. And that's a simple fracture. It's a bone that's only a third weight-bearing and doesn't require anything really exotic. Yeah, in the leg. I, yes. And so then I guess it was published, I'm sure. Did you see the video of him on the anti-gravity um, treadmill? 
Uh, no, I did not. Um, that's pretty frightening for me because, one, it's three months that he was non-weight-bearing, and he has what looks like to me um, atrophy of both his calves. Wow. Um, and the other thing is he went down to North Carolina to have Dr. Anderson, who's you know, an outstanding uh, foot and ankle specialist. Um, he's like the Jim Andrews, you know, for, you know, knees, shoulders, and elbows. Um, but there are plenty of good foot and ankle surgeons in New York. So this had to be more severe for him to go there and to for him to be non-weight-bearing for three months. Yeah. So I don't know what the injury is. I can only surmise that it involves the joint because usually if it's just the bone, you can weight bear on it earlier than that. Hmm. So seeing what I saw yesterday really alarmed me because... Um, he has a long ways to go to get that muscle back. Right. And so I think we're giving him, it's $18 million for the, or $15 million for the franchise tag. Yeah. Uh... I mean, in retrospect, if it was my decision, which it's not, I probably would use the franchise tag on snacks. Mm -hmm. And not let him walk to the Giants. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, not let him walk to the Giants. And um, at least from the photograph or the video I saw of Wilkerson's leg, I don't know if he's going anywhere that fast. And I and I rather have the fifteen million in cap space and For still maybe work on a long term deal because I don't know if he's going to go anywhere. And if he is. We're going to lose them next year anyway. Right. Yeah, it's only for one year. Okay, so, Doctor, just give me um, – a lot of my listeners are not professional athletes, so give me, like, your top your top recommendation for the athlete, the aging athlete, who, you know, is in, we'll say, the beer league, softball leagues, or the, the adult flag football leagues, and is not, not performing as he or she would have liked. So what is, like, your top tip for someone in that position? Well, I, I think the – the, the tips are is that, you know, one, the earlier you start and, you know, keeping in shape in life, the better it is. And you should always continue with some activity. And I guess since I've reached the area that, you know, I'd be considered old, um, and two years ago I fought in the Masters heavyweight division and uh, Gleason's gym in Brooklyn and I beat someone 20 years younger wow. 40 pounds That's crazy. That's crazy. larger <laughs> and 3 inches larger um, I treat patients um, functionally and not chronologically and, and I play polo with a gentleman who's in his early 80s so I think you could have a couch potato, you know, that or that someone's that's has very little function, 
because they've done nothing their whole lives. Mm -hmm. Or you could have someone like this gentleman who runs his own company and, you know, plays polo. And you also see that probably the last thing that you would have to give up, and if you look at the times, you know, runners that run in the marathons in their 80s still have really respectable times. So um, the, 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 the things are is that when you get older, you want to concentrate on stretching. You want to concentrate on core strengthening, mm -hmm. um, aerobics, you know, eating healthy, getting enough sleep. Um, and again, you have to give yourself time to recover. So if you're in a league and you're playing like three games in a row mm -hmm. um, at a certain age, that might not be wise. And especially if you're feeling sore in a particular area, you may want to go for some treatment, you know, physical therapy or, you know, stretch it yourself, but right. you still want to give it time. Right. The other thing I recommend to most of my patients are two things, two ingredients that you could take over the counter. One is glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate. And those are, have a lot of the products that make up articular cartilage, which is the cartilage that covers the joints. And when you lose that, that's when you have arthritis. Now, there isn't a study that shows that it actually rebuilds cartilage, but there's definitely studies to show that it reduces pain compared to placebos. So it's, you know, pretty innocuous to take, and so I recommend taking that. Great. If it doesn't work after a couple of months, you know, and the other is omega-3 fatty acids. That's good for, um, that's fish oil. That's good for um, anti-inflammatory properties and also um, cardiovascular. So I recommend that. And then there are recent studies with respect to taking vitamins that if you juice green, in particular the green vegetables, uh, kale, spinach, uh, sweet grass, uh, is it sweet? No, sweet grass. Um, that that's better than a lot of the multivitamins, and that's very healthy for you. Um, I know it doesn't taste very good, um, I, I, but it is very healthy for you, and that's been recommended and shown that it has benefits. Great. Dr. Stoller, you are a wealth of knowledge. Uh, thank you again for coming on. I would love to have you on you know, in the future sometime. So, um. Sure. Um, I could always talk about Jets. We never got into boxing. I've been in the ring as cut man, assistant trainer, um, doctor, etc. Um, also, you know, I just wanted to mention um, that I have a wealth of information on my website, mm -hmm. um, dot com under education, there are maybe close to 100 animated videos that list the injury 
and also have treatments. So feel free to go on it and um, also my number's there. Yeah, yeah. You can always contact me. Yeah, so his website is drstoller.com and the phone number for the office, I believe, is 201-261-000. Okay, there's a typo there. Okay, 201-261-2000. So Dr. Stoller, oh, and his office is in Englewood, New Jersey for anybody local. So Dr. Stoller, thank you for coming on. Very much appreciate it. Danielle, thank you. Bye. hope to talk to you again. Okay, thanks. Bye. Wow, he knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? <laughs> Jesus, oh my God. I was trying to take notes during that. I know, me too, me too. Stem cells and cardiovascular. And Andy, do you have a solution to your... Yeah, I hope he's totally wrong about the PRP <laughs> in my joints. For, it doesn't It doesn't sound like it, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I, I think my doctor would have something to say about that. I don't know. I'd like to, to hear them go at it verbally on, on the air. Maybe we can set that up. Uh, well, you know what? Maybe we can have a, I'll a debate. Bring, I'll there be bringing go. this down for my next appointment and let him listen to it. He, he's uh, My doctor's cool. Cool. He, he'll... Uh, I'm sure he'll have something to say about it. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Stoller seems to think that you need to be uh, opened up. Yeah, no, no, I do not. I do not. <laughs> I've been opened up enough in this world, and I, I don't. I don't need to do it again. <laughs> All right. So, moving on to our next thing. Hi, uh, you're on 60 Minute Overtime. What's your name? And where are you calling from? This is Brian Martin from Parabolic. Hi, Brian. Okay, so Brian Martin from Parabolic is. Um, it's an interesting uh, form of training for athletes, and he is the NFL program director for Parabolic Performance and Rehab, and he's also the NFL trainer of uh, NFL Combine athlete uh, Stephen Longa, who we've also had on this program, I think, two weeks ago. Um, so thanks for taking the time out. I know you're at a conference, so I don't want to keep you too long, but um, I just had a couple questions for you. Uh, what is Parabolic training? What, what is the focus of it? Well, Parabolic, we do performance and rehabilitation, so we have full physical therapy, as well as a medically integrated program for performance training. So we do strength, speed, bring in nutritional aspect, as well as uh, mental to prepare athletes for the next level, male or female. But right now it's NFL combine time, so we've been preparing players for the NFL. Yeah, so I have my my co-host Andy here, and I'm also on with uh, Corey Canisi. He is a... uh, he owns a, a training school here locally. The, so. uh, the Parisi Speed School in uh, in Wyckoff, New Jersey. I don't know if you've heard of uh, Parisi's. There's about 100 of them around the country. but Yes, yes, mm-hmm. I have. So, I mean, my goal would be to get you guys talking real kinds of uh, trainer stuff here. So, <laughs> Well, one, you know, I had, a, I had a quick question for you. Do you, you guys only work with athletes, or do you use some of these uh, these methods uh, with, with older adults and anything like that? Yes, we use it with all levels, from you know performance training if somebody wants to get ready for their golf game or tennis, all the way down mm-hmm. to you know young kids that are working on speed development, um, and then we have a full full suite of physical therapy services as well. Mm-hmm. You guys work with uh, wrestlers or any MMA guys at all? Yes, actually we do. We have both. Uh, we had a bunch of wrestlers down at the. Uh, we train a lot of the kids from the Edge School of Wrestling with Arnie Monaco's group. Uh, we train a lot of them, and then we also have MMA guys. Corey Bleakin is one from uh, Clifton, New Jersey. Okay. Um, but do you guys have, like, your uh, the same kind of program set up, or do you guys train more specifically for certain things that they're looking for, or they just go there yeah, for overall fitness? completely specific. Okay, no, cool. completely specific to each sport and to each individual. Everyone has an individualized program. I think that's one of the biggest differences with us is that every single person that comes in gets a completely personalized program. That's great. 
Is that what you do, Corey? Um, yeah. I mean, we try to do we try to do something similar, uh, depending on the level of the athlete. Obviously, if they're uh, at that level, then they're definitely getting an indiv- individualized program. Right. So you guys work also on the mental aspect of this as well. Yes, we bring in a, a team of sports psychologists. Some of work with the New York Giants, and we work on the mental aspect too when it's when preparing for bigger events as you lead up to the event and, and be prepared for all the interview process at the NFL level as well. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of uh, UFC and uh, high-level MMA guys uh, have hired uh, uh, sports psychologists in the past to help them get over some, some of the problems that they have when it comes to you know fight week and all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a big yeah. part of it that not a lot of people take into consideration. Yeah, between cutting the weight and then just you know dealing with the physical aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, definitely, you have to be prepared mentally, no, no question about it. Brian, can I ask what the uh, the intake process is like for any of the new athletes coming into your uh, your program? Yeah, every athlete goes through a uh, as a minimum they're they're going through a functional movement screen. And we also mm-hmm. have a wide balance test, altered functional movement systems. We have a gentleman by the name of John Tareen on our team that works with functional movement systems. Used to be the head strength coach for the Colts, okay. for the Indianapolis Colts. Mm-hmm. So we bring them through a full thorough evaluation process. If they have any medical, then our physical therapy team will do an additional evaluation. Mm-hmm. For any acute injuries and once we bring them through that then we'll go through some baseline testing depending on what they're preparing for if it's for football you know we're preparing them through nfl combine testing you know 40 yard dash a shuttle three cone bench press and, and working towards that if it's a younger athlete then it, it, it would be modified down for them depending on what sport they're participating in that, <clears throat> when you get guys that coming in for obviously different sports, uh, how, how do they differ when they come to you, to you? Like, do they? I'm assuming they all come to you looking for different things. Uh, you know, uh, uh, whether it be speed, strength, or, or uh, agility. Uh, what what do the? Uh, I'm curious to know what most of the uh, the MMA guys and the wrestlers come to you for. What do they What do they come to you like looking to work on for the most part? I'm assuming it's. I mean, they're looking to work on their conditioning level, their nutrition. You know, Angelo Sodaros. You know, heads up our nutrition uh, performance director, and you know the, the nutrition is a huge piece for the MMA guys because they yeah. make weight. Yeah. Um, you know, the second piece would be conditioning and strength, and working on a lot of rotational power, transverse plane work. So you work you have a lot of the athletes training, not just your traditional bench squat and clean. We're doing a lot of rotational power work, doing things to enhance their grip strength and things to enhance their balance. Um, you know, and just in overall conditioning to make sure they can handle that battle. Yeah, because there's a. I was going to say for uh, with the MMA, there's a there's a, a wide range of motions that you're doing. That's uh, it's not really cookie cutter. Like, uh, not that other sports aren't, but I feel like it's there's a lot more to go into uh, pre- preparing for for those type of movements and everything like that. And you kind of have to allot your time accordingly because I think those guys. A big problem with the MMA guys, they they end up overtraining a lot. Um, which I think it's great that you guys have a, 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 a they can, you can build a program for them around that so that they they're doing the right thing. Yeah, they have to be specific to what the, those types of movements, which is like I said, it varies, varies a lot. So you got to hit from a lot of different angles, but also time it out so that they don't overtrain. You yeah, know, it's uh, it's all timing. You know, for for all the high level athletes who get ready for events, or it's MMA or football, like, everything's timing, and you got to kind of time everything out so that they peak at the right time and not overtrain. Mm. Brian, I have a question for you. There was some talk at the uh, the combine, I believe, this year um, that you know maybe they would change some of the drills. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, there's been some issues with you know offensive linemen running a forty and you know wide receivers bench pressing. What do you, what do you think about that? Do you think that would uh, there, there's some merit to that that some of the the events should be changed based on uh, on the athlete's position? 
I mean, I do think that they should be changed, but I, I don't think they will be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just being out there for the last, I mean, I've been training NFL guys for 20 years, and, you know, what I've learned in the NFL business is that it's a um, it's an apples-to-apples business. You know, they really want to know, hey, this guy, where well, he ran a 40 in 1981, so versus now at the same position, they want to compare apples-to-apples. So mm-hmm. there, every year there's discussions. I mean, they, they adopted some other on the, more on the evaluation process, like functional movement screens and things like that, over the last five to seven years. But the actual drills, I don't know if they're ever going to change them. You know, I, even the bench press, I think anatomically, the bench press is not the best thing for a shoulder, specifically if an athlete's had any rotator cuff issues or things like that. I would use dumbbells and put them on a physio ball if it were me. But, you know, it's something that I, I don't know if they're going to change it just because if they're very slow to make changes to things that have been done for a long time. Brian, this uh, athlete as a whole thing, um, also with the mental aspect and the physical aspect, that's sort of new, right? Is is that a wave of the future for athletes in in any sport? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think at the high level, I think, you know, if you look at, there's more and more specialization. You have more kids at a younger age that are starting to get into one sport, Mm -hmm. and it's so easy to overtrain. Um, So you have to really be calculated and smart with everything that you do. You know, I, I still am a proponent that I think kids should do multiple sports until they get to a certain age. But yeah, I agree. We, we know, talked about that earlier, yep. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's something that, you know, the, the specialized, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, you know, I look at the wrestling schools. Ernie Monaco started the edge school of wrestling in 1984. He was the first one to do it. Now I think there's over 300 wrestling schools in New Jersey alone. So kind of one of those things that if you kind of got to get on the bus or you get run over by it, you know. <laughs> When uh, when people when you know athletes come to you, two questions here. What's the 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 biggest weakness that you see in a, in most athletes, and what is the biggest mistake that they normally make that you see? Like, what's what's the biggest uh, deficiency? I guess that most guys that come to you have. I think the biggest deficiency is you know correcting any imbalances or any deficiencies that they may have. They may be you know, real strong on the right side and, and not as strong on their left keep doing reps a certain way they don't adapt or weaken adjust to their weaknesses um, okay. you know some are very strong in like the right hamstring not in their in their left but, you know, they just balance all that out mm. um, the other thing I think is just flexibility in general I think most athletes you know worry worry about getting stronger and faster they don't they don't stop the clock and and do regeneration and recovery and do use techniques to enhance their flexibility and mobility so they can move more efficiently I think they get too worried about just getting bigger, stronger, and faster, and they forget how important it is to stay flexible and, and to be, you know, be able to move as best as well as possible. Yeah, and we see that at a, at our speed school all the time. Uh, it seems like the better the athlete is, a lot of times the the worse their flexibility is. I, I see kids that are, you know, going to play college basketball that can barely squat down. They can't get down in a, in a full squat. It, it, it's amazing to see sometimes. Yeah, it sure is. You know, and that's the thing. You got to catch a balance between that elasticity and the, the power, and and the you know being not flexible enough that where you become injuries start to become an issue. Um, so we we start from everything we do is kind of movement based from the from the movement up, um, and making sure that they're flexible and mobile, and that they will make sure they're reworking in recovery techniques and flexibility. And in addition, to everything else, we're very very big on uh, driving that home educationally. And. Uh in your experience, uh, based on your own opinion, what what uh, sport has the best overall athlete in terms of strength, endurance, conditioning, uh, overall movement? Uh, what what uh, which sport has like uh, I guess the best well-rounded athlete? I'm going to make a guess. I would say basketball. You know, I, I would say 
Uh, well, basketball is one for sure. I think basketball, soccer. In soccer, you have to cover a lot more ground. There's mm, a lot soccer, of yeah. you know hand-eye coordination. You know, a lot of a lot of team aspect. Uh, basketball too. I mean, constant movement, just a you know different different playing surface. I'd say basketball and and soccer too that are very high level as far as movement and having to take into account so many different facets of athleticism. Great. So um, that's it. Any more questions from you guys? Too? Uh, none that I can think of right now. All right. I have sure to go to goparabolic.com after this. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was just going to give you your website a plug there, Brian. So if you're interested in more information, be sure to visit www.goparabolic.com. And, uh, Brian, do you have offices in where? Montclair and Little Falls, New Jersey? Yeah, we're Mon- yeah Montclair, Little Falls, New Jersey, and we just added a new location in Hackensack. Okay. And uh, we recently just licensed Parabolic Performance, so we actually opened our first place just outside of Chicago. Wow. So, nice. expansion. Expanding. Nice. Yeah, cool. Okay, so then also on Twitter, um, Brian's Twitter handle is at BMartinSports, and you can also follow at GoParabolic. Awesome. Well, thank okay. you, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Brian. We really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time uh, out. Good talking to you. All right. Good. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Man, we got one expert after another on. Th- hey, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that, guy was, that guy was cool. Yeah, he's very knowledgeable. Everybody's so knowledgeable. I'm glad. Now, he sounds like a nice guy. He's expanding and stuff. Actually, I was just looking I'm at the. I'm surprised he said soccer. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, as far as, you know, I can see, like, uh, soccer, I mean, definitely probably has the most endurance, mm-hmm. you know, maybe as far as basketball, but with, this, with the strength and, and the size of the guys, I don't know. I, I think oh. the. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, uh, Brian, I was on his website as he was talking. I wanted to make sure I got the the um, the offices down. But as I was loading up the website, he actually gave an interview t- for uh, the big sports network, WFAN, in New York. So I'm um, honored. Honored he would take the time out to, to talk with us today. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. So, Corey, you've been patiently waiting. Corey uh, not only <laughs> is uh, the speed school owner, but he is a very passionate fan about basketball. Anybody that knows Corey knows that he is Brooklyn, well, Nets, New Jersey, Brooklyn Nets, yeah. through and through. It's, um, been, it's been really tough lately, though, but <laughs> yeah. Sean Mark's getting hired. I'm, I'm, I'm back on board. I'm good. Yeah. You know what, Corey? I wanted to ask you before we even got into this, the, these articles, um, New Jersey Nets, Brooklyn Nets. We talked on here about the Rams leaving St. Louis mm-hmm. to go to California, obviously. But what do you? What were your thoughts when the Nets decided they were going to go to Brooklyn, up and move? Um, I thought it was definitely the best idea for the franchise. I mean, hey, look, I, I lived probably 15 minutes yeah. from the arena down there, had season tickets, was able to go all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't go very often to Brooklyn because it's too far. Hard to get uh, to. Hard to get to, um, but best for the franchise. What player wanted to come and play in New Jersey? Um, I think the answer is, you know, obviously they were bad most of their time in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, give uh, Take for a few years with Jason Kidd. Um, but you know, they have a chance to attract some, some free agents. They have a a chance to get guys to want to stay there, um, going forward in Brooklyn, I think. Uh, so, uh, as a fan, I'm happy about it as somebody who wants to go to the games. Not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's hard. I, I, I'm not a basketball fan a hundred percent through and through, but you know, they kind of left New Jersey, so I kind of jumped off. I'm, I'm a yeah, Knicks fan now. I mean, <laughs> when I root for them, <laughs> I'm gonna hold that against you, but <laughs> we, we're okay still. Uh, okay, so Corey, we um, I we were talking. I was reading this on, I guess Thursday, Thursday afternoon it was, or maybe Friday. I don't remember, but um, I had an article of ESPN magazine. I was like, oh my god, uh, uh, Corey, you got to read these articles. And what did you tell? What did you say to me? 
I, I didn't actually say this to you, but I actually had them linked up on my uh, my social media page for my gym oh. like two weeks ago Go when ahead, they, when they came are, out. What so is it? uh, it's Wyckoff PT, the Parisi Speed School. Um, my adult training business is Wyckoff Personal Training, so uh, that's where that comes from. So um, yeah, and you were like, oh, Danielle, I'm already on top of this uh, stuff. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh my God, I, I I read it three times. I love I love anything about about especially basketball training and the stuff they were talking about um, in both of these articles was really interesting, not just for athletes, but for, I think the general population moving forward. I think some of this, uh, some of this uh, technology will be able to be used for, for 60 year olds, 80 year olds mm-hmm. to get them feeling okay while they're moving too. Um, yeah. So the, I mean, the first article is the, uh, it's called the analytics of the NBA body. <laughs> Um, and it, I, I sent this, by the way, to the um, one of the kids that I'm training that's going to play uh, college basketball next year, and um, just trying to get him hyped because I loved everything about this. This and was the, crazy. The other article that just came out about Kawhi Leonard also was the the one with uh, he still drives a '97 truck, something that he had in high school. Guy's worth ninety million dollars. He's driving around in uh, in a '97 Tahoe or something like that's that. Cool. It's great. I like him. Yeah, he's <laughs> awesome. So um, this article here, uh, the main quote, the main entrance here was, uh, the NBA has brought the metric revolution to the human molecular level, making remaking the bodies of its players through analytics. So, I mean, that's kind of a very wordy definition of this, but basically the NBA is looking at the player as a whole. Like I'm talking the distance between pinky and thumb <laughs> and, and comparing it and, and analyzing data, running all kinds of tests and I mean, it does, I, I don't know. I, I, what do you think? I mean, one, the NBA is so far ahead, I think, of anybody else I as agree. far as the, the analytics go yes. with the actual body. Yeah. Obviously, baseball's done their job as far as analytics of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the body goes, it's amazing. Um, but, I mean, some things, like the distance between your pinky and your <laughs> ring finger, I don't, you know, I don't know. If Kawhi Leonard's you know, fingers were a little further apart, he'd still be a freak. Um, he'd still have the biggest hands around. Um, even if he didn't, he'd still be a, an all-star player. He'd still be one of the best in the game. Oh, here, so. I'm, I'm looking here at Kawhi Leonard. They have, and I'll show it to the camera because we are videoing this today. Too. So um, ESPN Magazine has, it's uh, 11.25 is the number of inches from his thumb to his pinky, which is 3.8 inches longer than the average man. Mm-hmm. Um, his wingspan is 7 foot 3 inches, the longest in the NBA combine database relative to his 6'7 height. I mean, they, they're analyzing everything. It's like toenail length and things. I think, honestly, <laughs> though, uh, when it comes to sports that have been around a long time, if they have the data... For the, if they had the data from that going back in time, I think they could make some pretty accurate assessments to an athlete based on the measurements and also the speed that they run at and a couple of other strength and conditioning things. Uh, that's what that movie, basically Moneyball, was about, right? Yeah. Taking analytical... Uh, More of like stats, though. Stats, but this kind of goes in, in the same direction that that goes into. We're yeah. getting a little bit more detailed in it because... Uh, I kind of noticed that nowadays, uh, with especially like with sports like football, and correct me if I'm wrong, but football back in the day being a contact sport, uh, you had guys that were. And this is most sports, uh, to my understanding, when they, you know, first getting like really big, they start off with guys that play mostly just on raw talent who, and who are crazy enough to do the sport that they do. And now, since they get bigger, they're getting paid more. You're getting more of an all-around, well-trained athlete. So in football, you look at guys back in the day, you know, they don't look like the guys that they are, to, the, the guys that play today as far as, like, specimen-wise. You get a couple guys that you could probably throw in today and they would be okay. But for the most part, uh, they pretty much are narrowing it down to, like, the highest-end athlete. And um, 
you know, I think stuff like this is, is kind of what they look at, and that's why they have the combines, if I'm not mistaken, right? They're looking for guys with the with the stats that they want uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and all that, no? But, but it, it, I mean, yeah, definitely. But what you don't get, I guess, in a combine, well, I don't know. The NBA, NFL combine, I guess, has their, their interviews and their tests and things like that. I'm talking freak but, athletes aside. Well, <laughs> I'm talking like, you know, your Lawrence Taylors and all those guys, like, they're going to make it whether, you know, they're training or not training. They're just freak athletes. But but, but even then, sometimes the guys don't have the, the, the determination to become the player they should be. Kawhi Leonard is successful not just because he's a freak athlete. There's a plenty of freak athletes in the NBA, but because he's so driven to get better every single day. Um, it's in that article. It's in the other article that just came out uh, the other day. Um, it, you know, well, the, I guess what they're – like what I mean is like the – it's not so much guaranteed, but it, it it's it's filtering out the ones that like because you can have a guy with the craziest work ethic, but he could be built like olive oil from Popeye. <laughs> you know, it's he's just never yeah. gonna be a running back or, or right. whatever. Right. So I think uh, when it comes to, to to sports that have been around and that there's there's so much money involved in them that they can they're they're trying to get the the best of the best before they even accept those guys as like considering them to play you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying and of course there's going to be guys that don't make it there that probably should have because they just never got the opportunity but i see what you're saying as well but i, I just think that sports is getting so crazy with the the, the level of athlete that they're they're is is, is playing nowadays mm-hmm. it's it's i mean do you think the athletes today are, are light years ahead of the ones yes. 30 years ago? Yes, I have this conversation a lot. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I've gone back and forth with some people about this. I think, again, just bringing up the NBA because I'm, I'm such a uh, so in tune to, to the NBA. I, you know, you could argue with me all the time. I think Bill Russell is looked at as one of the greatest NBA players of all time. And I think if you put him in today's NBA, he's an undersized yeah, again, the heart, the the energy, the passion for the sport, the passion to get better, um, you know that would that would translate well. But he was like six foot nine, and I think he'd probably get destroyed if you threw Shaq at him. Yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I have this conversation a lot too with uh, my buddies when it comes to fighting. You know, mm-hmm. especially with that, you know, everyone, especially with boxing, taking people out of different eras. I don't really think that you can compare people right. of this in the same sport for, I'd say, about ten years. Is, mm-hmm. is how far you can go back when you're talking about putting people against each other. Right. Because not only the sport changes with the rules, but how the sport is played, right. uh, the, the level of athlete, all that kind of stuff has to come into play. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just look at football. You know, They play more games now. Baseball, they play more games now. Stats are, 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 are messed up. And also, right. too, like the training. They're 100 miles an hour in baseball every guy now yeah. Yeah. instead of just maybe one. Exactly. Years ago. And it, it's yeah. it's really not even fair to, to take those guys in back in the day. And and honestly, like I said, uh, you don't want to discredit them by saying they would get destroyed today, but it's a simple matter. You know, the only guy that I can think of, like, and I don't know basketball very well, mm-hmm. but you look at basketball players now as opposed to they were back then, they, they look more like NFL players muscular-wise than they were back in the day because right. it's it's a more physical sport. They, they, they realize that having the size, you know, besides uh, – uh, what's the guy's name that was in Conan, uh, the Destroyer, the the, uh, the big guy, the he was the center for the L.A. La- was it L.A. Lakers? I have no idea. Will Jack? Chamberlain, Chamberlain. Oh, well, oh, okay. He was yeah. like the biggest dude back in the day, by right? far. Yeah, by far. And he really wasn't like if you see him next to guys nowadays, he looks like an average player, right? Uh, so, 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 getting back to to this, but I don't know. Does does do you, in your opinion, Corey, think that some players may go overlooked or underlooked in drafts and, and in signings because of their body measurements? 
Well, yeah, I think we see that every single year in every sport. Um, you get got. I mean, just you've got the Jets hat on right now. Who was their pick? Um, a few Vernon Golston, yeah, Vernon sixth Golston. overall, mm-hmm. and he stunk. Yeah, he was physically gifted. There was a guy a few years ago that the Dolphins drafted, Dion Jordan. That was like two years ago. He's the third overall pick in the draft, and he stinks. He, yeah. he can't play uh, in the NFL. Yeah, Dean um, Milliner with the Jets too. Uh, right. I mean, these yeah. guys physically show up, and they're you know the best athlete there, but. You know their skills, their mental, you know, aspect of, of the game is just not not on par. It's not on an NFL level. So certainly, and and the the other way too. I mean, you see guys, Arian Foster wasn't drafted. How many times has he been to the Pro Bowl? Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's probably Hall of Famers in every sport that weren't even drafted, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think about because you think about just how many guys were were bad <laughs> that were drafted. You think that never turned out anything? You think that that makes them have a more of a drive and want to be better that they weren't drafted? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Sure. I think they, they talk about that all the time. Yeah, I think it's an important thing with sports uh, is uh, guys that don't make it, that, that don't get, uh, get you know drafted, what, what have you, and end up having to work harder mm-hmm. to get there because um, they always have that, that hunger. Definitely, I you, love that. If you look at like, uh, I don't really like the Patriots. I don't watch football, but I don't really like the Patriots. But a guy <laughs> that I used, to, the guy that I used to like from the Patriots <laughs> was Wes Welker. Yeah, I mean, you look yeah. at him, and he wasn't, he didn't look like a football player, <laughs> and he was to me, I, he was the most exciting guy in that team because yeah. he was so tiny. Yeah, but I, I, I'm not sure. Was Wes Welker drafted? We might have to look that up. Yeah, I'll look that up real quick. <laughs> I, you know yeah. what? I'm not sure. I gotta find the keyboard here. So, oh, but yeah. this uh, Kawhi Leonard article here. So sure. we're talking measurements of, of athletes and stuff. And David Stern, actually, Corey, I didn't even tell you this. I think you would love this. Um, David Stern was at. He was the opening speaker, the keynote speaker at an event I went to in last uh, Monday. Really cool. Yeah, I mean, I thought of you as soon as I sat down. I was like, oh, I should have <laughs> told Corey about this. But I mean, I really. He's very eloquent. He, mm-hmm. by the way, he's the new um, commi- oh, two years commissioner of the NBA. Um, Adam Silver. You Adam Silver. Adam what Silver. Did I, who did I say? You said David Stern. He's the, the old, old one. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, Adam Silver was the keynote speaker at NYU, and he's just so eloquent. He seems like he he understands every piece of this, mm-hmm. like from the kids coming up he was talking about all the, the camps that he does with these kids and how is that important to get kids at a young age uh, you know it, to caption them one as fans of the game and two as potential players of the game i mean you could say that about any sport i guess right yeah. is is capturing their attention we see that in basketball and football you see these inner city kids that are you know are great and they make it to the league and then in baseball there's not as many of those because they're not exposed to the game so right. um i mean obviously it makes all the sense in the world you got to have these kids uh, involved and actually there's something i'm i'm working on with with you know in inner city around here i'd like to uh i've been speaking to the uh, the patterson boys and girls club about getting getting some of the kids that belong there up into my gym mm-hmm. for an hour get 10 kids whatever it might be get the basketball team there and just train them for free you know it, it, they need to have exposure to 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 some training because they're so raw they're mm-hmm. such good athletes but they they never get the i mean like not all of them but they get um they deserve some more coaching and some more and more finesse. Exactly. Yeah. You think uh, the reason why you don't see a lot of uh, that is because of the, just the lack of equipment. Because to play basketball, all you need is a basketball mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and a hoop. And I feel like if you don't have the, if, if you're not going to a school that has good after school programs, you need a lot more equipment to play baseball than you do to play basketball. It's definitely mm-hmm. true. Definitely. Yeah. 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 
So, um, yeah, and by the way, I just looked it up. Wes Welker was an undrafted free agent in 2004. There you go. Yeah. There you go. He's currently a, a free agent right now. So, um, And then the other thing was Kawhi Leonard, Corey. I, I'll, I'll defer to you, the basketball man. Um, Kawhi, in late January, this is right from the article, Leonard was named as a starter for the All-Star game, making him the only player other than Michael Jordan and Hakeem Olajuwon to be, to be awarded finals MVP, defensive player of the year, and an All-Star starter. Mm. I mean, I think that goes to, sh- you know, it speaks for his work ethic. I mean, to be on, you said Jordan and Olajuwon. Yeah. To be on that level. Yeah. <laughs> People don't it, even know how to pronounce this guy's name. I mean, right. I, well, be, I mean, that's this other article that uh, that I just read the other day because of the person he is, you know, and they were talking about this actually during the Spurs-Warriors game last night yeah. is he's not getting any calls. He's a superstar. He's probably the second best player, third best player in the NBA right now after Curry and LeBron, mm-hmm. and he doesn't get any calls. That's that's unheard of in the NBA, but it's because he gets a, a foul called against him, and he sort of just turns away. He's not hmm. c- crying and complaining to the refs like every other star in the NBA. Yeah, Corey. This um, and then this uh, this measurement and things like that. How will it revolutionize? We were talking briefly, but I didn't want to go into depth with you on text messages. But how will this revolutionize the NBA, other sports, and, and just regular people? Just looking at people's measurements, and as a trainer, you know, put on your trainer hat. You get an 80-year-old guy coming in, you do his measurements, and then how does that affect the training program that you will provide you for him? An, an 80-year-old guy? Yeah, just I, in general. I love that idea because um, this is already – it's already in sports. You know what I mean? The uh, – you know, I, I – um, I'm familiar with somebody who's out of the uh, – works with the uh, University of Virginia men's basketball program. They use every – electronic technology thing that they could ever use to measure what these guys are doing. Mm-hmm. So it's at the pro level. It's at the college level. We'll probably see it at the high school level, especially in some of the higher level high schools. But what about, you know, we were speaking with uh, Brian Martin before, I believe about what, what are the, what does a 60 year old person do? What does a, what does an 80 year old person do? And I, I think that's going to be a big, that's going to be a game changer in, in just overall healthcare is using some of this information and saying, all right, how are we going to prevent the the 80-year-old from having to have a hip replacement or a knee replacement? How do they move? How can we correct this at 55 so that at 75 uh, they don't have to have these surgeries? I I think that's uh, a whole other conversation. It's something... um, I want to. Uh, I would like to start working on in my own in my own gym. Maybe you can pair up with uh, the doctor over there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then just the other article that uh, that was in ESPN magazine was an article about Steph Curry. Really, mm-hmm. it was called uh, "The Best Worst Ankles in Sports." Mm-hmm. Um, this is another one that got emailed out to like five of my athletes that I work with. Yeah. So what is Corey? Go ahead. What is it about, and what is the takeaway from this article? Um, I mean, basically, we we forget now that Steph Curry's been in the NBA for what seven or eight years. Uh, as far it, as I'm concerned, one. It, right, <laughs> and people only started to know about him two or three because he was chronically injured. Yes. He had he had sprained ankles. Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't know all the different uh, injuries that he specifically had, but yeah. he couldn't stay on the court until they changed up his training regimen. Basically, um, introduced yoga, introduced uh, you know hip strengthening, which I was actually. I was actually shocked by. <laughs> they they talk about in the article about how you know he's hurting his his ankles and and how he wasn't training his his hips, but mm-hmm. before I mean everything I know about being an athlete says train your core and your hips, your glutes first. That's going to save your knees, your ankles, your your back, everything. Um, so that I mean, I could go on about this, but I, one I was shocked that he wasn't he wasn't doing that beforehand. Mm-hmm. But two, I mean, obviously it's it saved his career. It's 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 brought us the the best basketball player of of now. You know what I mean of, of this era. Um, 
a quick question. Uh, I know that like the NFL and all that, they have like their off days and they do a strength and conditioning program. When it comes to the NBA, are those guys like? Do they have like their own strength and conditioning program mm-hmm. with the team, or are they kind yeah. of like? Do they get like cut loose more than other sports, or are they? Because, like you said, you're surprised that he wasn't training that. Like, I would assume that the trainers would have picked up on on the deficiency there. So, are they kind of just are they strict with it, or they just let him do whatever they want? Or no, no. I, I, I mean, look, I, I've never. I'm not a, a trainer with a team or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. I, I've never. Not uh, yet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Danielle. I appreciate that. Um, I don't know as far. I mean, yes, definitely. They're working with the team every day. They've got yeah. a strength and conditioning guy that's a doctor, and they've got a big staff and, and all that. I, I don't know all the specifics, but um, they certainly did. I, I, I don't have an answer for. I don't know who the who the strength coach was. Um, working with him beforehand that he wasn't you know, that he couldn't deadlift, um, but or or do the, you know some of the single leg exercises? Yeah. There, his hinge motion, his squat motion. Um, I don't have an answer for that. I don't know why. Yeah, the team it wasn't sports done, are very foreign to me, so <laughs> if these are stupid questions, just let me know. But yeah, they certainly have. I mean, every sport, every certain sport, every sport mm-hmm. certainly has a, a a whole staff that they you know these guys have twenty four hour a day, yeah. seven day a week care. Because with like I'm used to dealing with like when I see guys training like for, for the MMA or UFC or whatever, they pretty much do their own camp. Mm-hmm. Like it's them that chooses where they go and whatnot. Yeah. It's not like you have a team that with all these people are telling you where your weaknesses right. are. It's like you have to go kind of find your own thing. But if you have those guys there, like you think, like you said, mm-hmm. you're surprised that they didn't pick up on that, especially with how, you know, this guy's supposed to be one of the best players, right? Right, right. Yeah. yeah Corey, you know, uh, in the article too, two things. They, they focused on now the NBA is putting a focus on – not linear training, more of like, like you said, his hip rotation, his his ankle rotation, knee rotation when he when he plays. Are you doing that in your gym and, and trying not to keep kids so linear in their motions and, and b- having them being able to be more flexible in their movements? Definitely, definitely. I mean, we're trying to put in the work and learning every day on how to, how to work better with athletes in that way. Um, you can't just have an athlete, unless he's a power lifter, just sit there and squat all day yeah. or do lunges all day. Um, it's, it's both movement laterally, and this was in the Kawhi Leonard article as well, yeah. uh-huh. uh, both movement laterally, strength laterally, ro- rotational strength. Uh, Brian Martin had mentioned that before with his mm-hmm. athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to get them moving in, in every plane of direction to, to make sure that once they're on the court or once they're on the field, they're not getting hurt and they're strong in every direction. Um, their, their body works synergistically you know their lower body works with their core works with their upper body together uh to make sure they're they don't have you know energy leaks in the body when they're when they're right. moving I, I mean that that's that's what we're we're always get, trying to get better at you know in the article they said uh, and i'll quote steph steph curry his central nervous system is the best they've ever worked with that's why he's a great golfer bowler shooter mm-hmm. and he swiftly perfected this yoga pose called the single leg hip airplane i don't know what that is but maybe mm-hmm. we can try it after we go I'll off have the to air. Do that for the video yeah go ahead <laughs> yeah we can maybe try it all three of us but to build balance and core strength central nervous system like what yeah i mean well i mean you need your central nervous system i mean look uh, you probably would have to have, have to talk to a doctor about the central nervous system more yeah. in depth mm-hmm. um i know how to get the central nervous system fired up warmed up um i you know, I, I don't know enough about it to, to say, hey, this is this is how we get it better. Uh, you know, I don't I don't I don't know all the details as far as conditioning of a central nervous system. Yeah. So and then and then also in the article, they had uh, mentioned about he how he has had um, basically they rebuilt his ankles and they're saying uh, they snaked a one ounce HD camera into his subtiller and ankle joints and it produced images of sticky bands of scar tissue. 
And then what they did was, after 90 minutes, a motorized device called the shaver scraped and vacuumed all of it away in less than 90 minutes. What is it? training regimen like for someone that comes to you with reconstructive surgery in any part of the body? Uh, Well, one, I mean, we are trying to be in constant contact with their doctor, not constant contact, but, you know, have a full uh, idea of what happened, what's going on with both their doctor and their physical therapist. Uh, You know, that's not what we do. Um, We can take prescriptions sort of from a doctor and physical therapist to continue them. Mm -hmm. Um, But also we have to, we have to just try to get them to regain their range of motion. You have to, you have to be smart about when you get back to certain exercises, how you strengthen certain exercises, whether it's, you know, an isolated movement or it's a a compound full movement. Um, there's every athlete, every person is so different. Um, and every uh, prescription from a doctor or physical therapist is so different. So, um, some people, you know, I, get, I see them 20 years after they've had an, an exor- uh, a, uh, mm-hmm. a surgery or an injury. Um, sometimes I get them when they're still hobbling and I say, holy, mm-hmm. how, am I supposed to, how am I supposed to work with this person? They, they can barely walk. <laughs> um, so, you know, every person's different and um, it, it's just it's important to, to stay in tune with and in touch with, with how they're feeling um, and what their doctors are, are saying. And part of Steph Curry's uh, training regimen was that he didn't, right away trust his ankle like you said like we touched on he had in- ankle injuries <coughs> you know he was out for a lot of his career yeah. before this but how do you get the athlete to regain trust in <laughs> his or her newly repaired whatever it is that's the mental aspect um i I've, I've i'm actually working with a kid now he's been he's been in uh i think it was a meniscus tear um he, he's had multiple already, and he's coming off of two years. I think he's in eighth grade. He's coming off of two years of not being able to play sports because of multiple injuries to his knees. And it is such a – it's a mental battle. I mean, even for me as the coach is I have to doubt my – I doubt myself sometimes and say, am, am I pushing this kid too much? Should I tell him, no, come on, it's, you know, it's going to feel okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's such a it's – a, it's a tough thing. It, it's, you have to be mentally prepared. You have to be confident in your doctor. You have to be confident in your physical therapist. You have to be confident in your trainer that – we're giving you the right movements and you're going to be okay. Um, obviously people re-injure themselves all the time. Um, knock on wood, that has not happened to d- with any of the, uh, the Guilty. athletes or the, <laughs> the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we went through Andy's whole medical history with the other doctor. Guilty. Andy should have his own show where he just yeah. talks about his injuries. I mean, he's had what? 45 I'll, surgeries. I'll call it, I'll call it Andy capped. <laughs> <laughs> You've thought about this before, yeah. clearly, because that's brilliant. <laughs> well, <laughs> and that yeah. was pretty quick. You came out with that. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, as you're talking, Corey, I just get a ESPN update in my phone. Yankees Jacoby Ellsbury right wrist out until at least Thursday, and Aaron Hicks is in line for more physical therapy. So, I mean, the baseball schedule is is grueling. It's 100 and I think 82 games and or 62. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, 62. 162 games. So in 180 pl- days. Yeah, plus the playoffs, plus the postseason. Right. You get someone in with, a, you know, a baseball person. It's like, it's almost better to take some time off. Right. Right. For the long run, than it is to be in every single game playing somewhat hurt, and it's always going to get worse. Right. Right. I, I'm amazed sometimes by the, by the resiliency of these athletes that have, you know, they injure their shoulder in spring training and they play almost every single yeah, game. That's what's going on right now. <laughs> throughout yeah. the whole season. It, it, it's it's amazing, but it's it's a credit to the, the staff, the people that they work with and their resiliency, you know, yeah. because it's a twenty four hour a day job to be an athlete and they've got the staff helping them and they've got to do a lot of work themselves. I to, think to an important prepared. thing to mention is that when athletes seem to come back a little bit too soon 
from mm-hmm. a lot of injuries, from mm-hmm. pressure, from whether it be their coaches or their uh, their schedule. Or themselves. Or themselves. Yeah. Derek but Jeter. Also, too, I think athletes have the ability to heal quicker because of the um, – the staff that they have available to oh, them, yeah. well, you know, because like the doctor we had him before mentioned that uh, it was, you know, you can't do anything for six months for a labral tear. My right shoulder alone was 14 months before mm-hmm. I could touch a touch a weight. So it definitely takes a lot, a lot longer uh, if you ha- if you're not like a don't have like a staff as well. <laughs> and uh, also to, um, you know, I, I feel like, uh, like h- how do you guys feel as far as like if a guy's injured, do you think he should be pushed back in too soon? Because I feel mm-hmm. like unless you're at the end of your career and this is like like Peyton Manning, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. doesn't really have a whole lot to, to lose. Like it's not like he's got to prepare for next season if he gets injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're starting off in your career, I don't think you should be pushing an MCL or ACL t- tear. I think, you know, maybe take some time off. Because those things, once once they get messed up, they, you know. For sure. And, and, and I work with athletes starting at seven years old, basically. Yeah. Straight up to college athletes. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're right. Yeah, you, you sh- absolutely shouldn't rush back. I mean, yeah. it, it doesn't make any sense, especially when you have your whole career ahead of you. If you're a sophomore in high school and you're playing baseball and you've got an injury, why would you rush back now? Uh, your sophomore year doesn't matter nearly as much as – your junior year and your senior year and and what you can do going forward if you rush back too soon then you might not play next year well, you might miss two too, seasons i know that uh people in like high school especially like uh if they're planning on going and getting a scholarship and even mm-hmm. ki- people in, in college that are planning on going into you know professional whatever their sport mm-hmm. is they don't want anyone to know that they're injured yeah. so a lot of times they will not treat an injury or yep. play through an injury because they do not want to be on the injured list because that from my understanding is a huge part of scouting is if they're already injured they do not want to have somebody with uh, a pre-existing injury and mm-hmm. brendan marshall i was reading an article this morning brendan marshall had a concussion and didn't tell anybody yep. he's a professional jets player and he didn't tell anybody because he didn't want to be taken out of the game yeah so yeah Corey, what do you do with that <laughs> yeah, that's a whole culture shift i think in sports that has to take place and we're starting to see it um in the in the nfl especially with concussions and everything um it's hard to fault a guy when their career could be on the line if they say, hey, you know, I, I think I might have a concussion and they have to miss a few weeks and all of a sudden they get cut from the team. Mm-hmm. It's tough to blame them. You know, it's a it's a, a job where they might be getting paid millions of dollars a year versus, you know, being done and not being able to play it. Should they report the injury? Of course they should. But, you know, I could, I could see where they're coming from. Um, and you hope that the staff can be – the coaches, the, the training staff can – one, help get them on the field, you know, fat, back on the field faster. And two, understand that, you know, the guy's life matters after football. And you can't just say, oh, he's got a concussion. He's got to get back out there. Now, going off the rails a little bit here. Oh, no. just want your Just a, your opinion real quick. What is your thoughts on PEDs? Oh, I was going to ask him the same it thing. Comes, <laughs> when it comes to, number one, sports in general. And number two, when it comes to healing and injury Wait, in sports. Let me just interject there, too, because I was thinking the same exact question, Andy. And I was thinking Andy Pettit mm-hmm. with the Yankees. I'm thinking Roger Clemens. I'm also thinking Peyton Manning because he had, didn't really admit to taking it. But, but here's, the, here's the problem, though. When I, the, this is the problem I see when it comes to taking PEDs and allowing it for injuries is that what injuries are allowable to take it with. Mm-hmm. So Or any. What do you or think? any. But... It's really look. I don't know every downside of PEDs. Um, I'm talking like doctor prescribed, mm-hmm. monitored, because 
you know, as far as I'm concerned, some sports at the level that they're playing at, I mean, let's be honest, um, most mm-hmm. sports are, are dirty. Yeah. Uh, I'd say well. every sport is dirty. And they're a lot dirtier than people think. Uh, it's just that, you know, I mean, baseball, for instance, they, they you know, they always seem to catch these guys at the end of their career when they're <laughs> about to retire. You know, it's no surprise. But uh, also, I think that, uh, you know, when it when it comes to contact sports, I'm a little bit more hesitant because I don't, you know, mm-hmm. when you're talking football, boxing, MMA, you don't really want these guys being able to hit with ungodly or unnatural ability. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit of a gray area there. Here, here's my opinion on PEDs in sports in regards to the injuries. Um, if it's doctor prescribed, if it's proven that it's safe for that athlete to take it, um, I think there should be a period where they they are allowed to take it where they they can get back on the field and it helps them you know move along the recovery process there should uh, you know again I, I don't know all the specifics of exactly how it works going through the system um but there should be probably a cutoff date is my my assumption and uh what they could take it up to a certain time and then after they're done they have to wait you know x amount of time before they can they're allowed to get back on the field but either way it's helped with their recovery process a little bit Again, not an expert, but that's from my understanding of it. Um, ultimately, in sports, you want you want those athletes on the field. Um, that's what people pay the big money for. That's obviously it's a huge investment from the uh, the organization standpoint. Yeah. That opinion might not be the most popular opinion, but uh, that that's what I you know because I they would say. they have tried this. They tried this in the in the UFC. They gave okay. they gave out um, pretty much like. Uh, um, they like they they allow certain people they allowed certain people to use uh, testosterone replacement therapy. Uh, it's usually was used for people that have had subpar testosterone levels. Now the problem that you run into with that is that people who abuse steroids back in the day or, or, or just use steroids sometimes it lowers your test levels because it shuts your endocrine system down. Right. So they don't know they didn't know how to determine whose test levels were low because of prior use and whose mm-hmm. test levels were low basically just on genetics and uh so they allowed i think five or six guys to use it and when those five or six guys used it was like the, the best example is vitor belfort was destroying everybody when he was on it then they were they took it back and they were like no nobody can use it now this is it's it's getting too too gray area so mm-hmm. they took it away and you could see a, a huge difference in performance so he was allowed to use that while fighting he, he was allowed to use fighting. that while fighting it was it was you know strictly tested but again they he ended up testing positive for elevated levels because he was just taking too much of it but at at the same time you get into like a real gray area because you know not every the problem i have with it is that not everybody's built the same not everybody has the same genetics and it's no not everybody's on the same playing field and i don't really have the answer but i think it's definitely something to discuss uh i just wanted to hear your your opinion on the injuries though yeah yeah i mean whatever i I don't want to sound like I'm contradicting myself from five minutes ago, but if you can get that athlete back on the field safely with the use of something like that, um, you know, as as long as the long-term effects aren't there, Mm. um, negative effects, the long-term negative effects or positive effects, really, um, because you don't want the guy to be taking it while he's playing. You want it to be used strictly just like uh, Andy Pettit was believed to have used it. Um, to help him through the recovery process, and then boom, he's shut off. He can't use it anymore. So, you know, Corey, just my my final question of the day would be um, back to the uh, Steph Curry article. You know, when you play you play a video game and you have like those little meters, like the stamina meters for <laughs> the players, right? Yeah. 
I think that's where the NBA is going to be going very shortly because what do you think about like wearable technology first of all they might be able to track oh hey this guy Corey uh you know he's his stamina is a little low Let, let's take him out and they've been limiting you've seen in baseball limiting the number of in- innings pitch you've seen in basketball the number of minutes played in a game mm-hmm. what do you think about that they they already use that I know they're already using it um, at the college level. I, I know for a fact, um, just based on again some of the uh, the people I'm familiar with at the uh, University of Virginia. Um, he's got multiple things that he uses to track their how they're feeling during the game, the distance traveled, mm-hmm. how their body's reacting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's an amazing thing. Uh, I'd love to see more more information on it. But I know you know to answer your question, that, that they're already using it. Do you That's guys crazy. like that? I love it. I don't like that. I do. I don't like that. I think it takes the purity out of the sport. I think it becomes more, like you said, like a video game where you're playing more of the stats and not the players. I like it because as an athlete. Because we wouldn't wouldn't have had, uh, you know, Michael Jordan shooting three-point game six winning shots uh, with pneumonia if he had one of those on. They would have taken him out. I mean, players still (laughs) do play when they're sick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's good. In, in that Kawhi Leonard article, it talks about he plays 32 minutes a game. That's he, it. He, and, I mean, same. I think Steph Curry is very similar. Yeah. He doesn't even play the most minutes on his own team, and I he's know. the best player on the planet. Yeah. Um, I, I like it. I mean, I played basketball in high school, and I'll tell you, I was a, a guard, and I was running up and down the court. My coach figured out, and it worked. She took me out after, like, I don't know, six minutes of play just mm-hmm. to give me, like, a little break. And that was it for the rest of the game. It was yeah. just the weirdest thing, that, but, but no analytics. That you know? I don't have a problem with, but I think it's, it just doesn't sit right with me when you have like a computer doing your thinking for you. Like you should be a, a good enough coach to recognize your own players and when they're doing good, when they're not doing good. I think that's part of coaching. But ultimately, I think if it's designed to protect the player, yeah, yeah, and maximize the the team as a whole. Um, maximize their ability, the way they w- can work together, and, and also keep the injuries down. Also, I, too, if everybody has it available to them, I'm, I'm less right, opposed right. to it. Right, but that's what. Yeah. If if some teams have more money than others, and you're talking, mm-hmm. you yeah, know. you could run into that problem, especially in college, where you know we're during the NCAA tournament now. A yeah. team like Kentucky or Virginia or Duke Kansas or Kansas can uh. can afford anything in the world that they want um, for these players, and somebody like Middle Iona. Tennessee State. Um, might not be able to. Uh, you know, I don't know the specifics yeah, of the, yeah. the individual yeah, schools, it, but some probably can have that, and some probably don't have the budget for it. Yeah, I think All it right. takes the purity out a little bit. And, and by the way, speaking of purity and PEDs and everything, I want to come back on here and discuss Barry Bonds as being the greatest player of all time. Because okay, I'm really sure. passionate about this. Let's and do I want, it. I want Tyler on here too for that. Okay, we'll get Tyler <laughs> in here too. Tyler, if you're listening, we'll get you guys. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Corey, you're welcome back anytime. Oh, Thank that's you. That's great. That's awesome. Thank you for coming. Okay, so I guess that's going to wrap it up for this week. It's uh, 3.15. Wow, we went over a little bit, but that's okay. It's all good stuff. Um, Do you so want me to talk about the fights at all or no? You got we, We're cutting it off. Do you want? You got five minutes. you want to do I'll, it? I'll talk for five okay. minutes about okay. the fights. Go ahead. All right, so uh, last night uh, they had uh, UFC Frank Mir versus Mark Hunt. Did any of you guys watch that? Andy, I was in bed at 9 o'clock last night. Oh, come on. (laughs) Same UFC's on too late. It's on too late. It is. I saw on Twitter, was it like a one-minute thing? One-minute round? Was that Mir something? Yeah, Frank Mir fought uh, Mark Hunt. I actually... I couldn't. I didn't want to pick, but I did pick Hunt on that one. It wasn't really that hard of a guess if you know how he was going to win. But uh, that dude has the crazy... I think he has probably... the most power of anybody in the sport. He he's known for like I was telling you last time for for hitting guys, knocking them out, and yeah. not finish them, just mm-hmm. walking away. That's yeah. what he did last no, last night. He uh, 
he tagged Frank Mir and uh, he went down. He just walked away. Didn't didn't even the ref didn't even jump in right away. He just walked away and <laughs> said, I, "I'm he's done." And the ref the ref ended up stopping it. Oh my God. But uh, yeah, and then uh, we don't actually have another UFC card until. Uh, 200, right? Because I've been paying attention, Andy. It's no. 200. is going to be McGregor yes, and but that's Diaz, not, I that's think. that's not the next UFC card. He's got me paying attention to this. <laughs> yeah, I, I got you paying attention now. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the next UFC card will be Ben Rothwell versus Junior Dos Santos, and uh, that's going to be... That's going to be a good fight because there are two, uh, two different kind of polar opposites there when it comes to where they're at in their career. Uh, JDS has had uh, the belt before at the heavyweight division, and he was known as one of the you know the best strikers in uh, in the heavyweight division. And Ben Rothwell has been working his way up. He's been on a tear lately. Uh, he, he's been winning uh, to a lot of people's surprise against some high-level veterans. And uh, JDS is kind of on his way down, I think. He's been getting knocked out uh, a little bit lately. He's taking a lot of brain damage. So I think that uh, if he doesn't win this, he's going to be – have like a real hard decision to make because he's taken a lot. If you look, watch some of his fights, it's they're difficult to watch because he's so tough that he just, he's basically out on his feet in a couple of them and he just got knocked out against uh, Alistair Overeem. So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it depends on who, you know, how, how the guys show up there, but I think Rothwell might shock the world yet again and get the win over JDS. But if he does, I think he might get a title shot, uh, if not one more fight and then a title shot. And if JDS doesn't win, you know, I don't think he'll ever get another title shot. So we'll see how yeah, that goes. Last that last week title yeah. shot and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Craziness. So uh yeah, so uh I think it's on the tenth, so we it's on a Sunday. It's actually on I think next Sunday. So we might I don't know if we we're might gonna, do a preview. For we might it. do a preview for it, or if it might be going on the same time, depending on what country it's in. Because usually Jeez. when they do it on Sundays, it's in a different country. Okay. Yeah, and then okay. after that, they got the one. Uh, we'll talk about the UFC after that because we went over big time on the time today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, that's it. Yeah. So today we started the show with a, d- a discussion about young athletes and Corey and kids at seven years old, and then we ended with the aging athlete with Dr. Stoller, pretty much. Um, Mom just said, you weren't in bed at 9 o'clock. Well, I was sleeping on the couch at 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks to, um, obviously, everybody involved today. Um, Andy, again, for coming out. Uh, Corey, yeah. in studio. You're our second in-studio guest. You're, you're welcome back anytime. I'm honored. So, I mean. It was fun. Barry Bonds, let's do it. Let's <laughs> talk about it. Because um, he's the Marlins coach now. He is. So. And apparently he beat Giancarlo Stanton in a, in home, a home run, run derby. derby. Because yeah. he's the greatest player of all Sounds time. Sounds like yeah. you're like a little bit like on the fence about how he was. I guess he's portrayed. Barry Bonds? You yeah. Don't, you think uh, he's I getting, mean, he gets a little bit of a hard ride. I'm sure he was taking every performance-enhancing drug in the world. But I think everybody a, in baseball was. A lot of people at that time, and he was ridiculous. I think they still are. He <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but he was on another planet still when they were yeah. all taking – they were all – not all, but there were a lot of athletes taking drugs, and I could talk about that for a long time. Yeah, so. let's do it. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> let's I'm do down. it. So, um, yeah, so he actually, yeah, like just beat Giancarlo Stan, who's supposed to be the best of the Marlins ever, you know. Right, he's massive. He's six yeah. five and whatever. He looks like a like a linebacker and a lineman all kind, you know, together. Yeah, and you know, could hit sixty home runs in a season. But Barry Bonds, at you know, f- almost fifty years old, is still better. Yeah, that's so. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> then uh, Dr. Ann Summers, if you ever need any eye care needs, she's great. Um, in Ridgewood, the Giants team ophthalmologist. Brian Martin. I always want to say Brandon Martin because I have a, you know, Brandon Martin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I always, yeah. but it's Brian Martin, uh, goparabolic.com. That was pretty cool. And then uh, Dr. Steven Stoller in uh, the orthopedic surgeon in Englewood. Um, listen, all these people are giving up their time for free, and there's, I can always say thank you, thank you, thank you, but it really means a lot to me for, for everybody involved here just to be giving up their time 
to to do this. Yeah. Really. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I like I like coming here just talk about fighting and stick ball <laughs> and foosball <laughs> and all the other sports you guys watch. So, uh, um, Andy, we're not just you know we didn't get to talk about this yet, but we're not on next Sunday because it's Easter Sunday. Ah. So, so happy Easter to everybody out there, and uh, and as they say in Italy, it's a buona Pasqua. And uh, we'll see you guys again on Sunday, April 3rd. Oh, so next Sunday we're not here. Yeah. Okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) We we got the week off next Sunday. Okay, awesome. Sunday, April 3rd is our next one here. So uh, ciao for now, everybody. And uh, ciao. Happy Easter. (laughs) See you to Zane. (laughs) Follow me on Twitter, at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, Search, with no spaces, Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m.